Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, the only Margaret Kiljoy in the world. With me today is the one and only James Stout. Mm-hmm. Sadly, uh, not the case, actually. What? There's other... No, it... Yeah, old uh, old racehorse jockey. Oh, wait! I thought you yeah. did race. How can there be more than one racehorse, James Stout? Well, it's see, it's in the genes. It's uh, it's in the. Uh, I raced bicycles, whereas he raced oh. both. Just uh, generally underweight dudes sitting on things, going fast and falling <laughs> off and breaking themselves. But there are differences. We're, we're the spandex, they're the silk. That's that's how you can tell if they're ah, in a bar. Okay, okay. Although silk bike, ra- okay. Anyway, um. Well, I would ride bike in silk now. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, someone, someone send me a cape. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, little, that way you get the wind resistance to help um, keep the whole mm-hmm. thing more stable. Yep. And you look badass. James, how are, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm good. I'm, uh, it's been 10 minutes since our last episode. I've, I've been thriving throughout them. Oh, excellent. Uh, who, who are you? Uh, who has a good question, isn't it? Uh, I am a podcaster. I, uh, part of the team at It Could Happen here, Cool Zone Media. Uh, I'm a journalist who writes about uh, Nazis and cops and Nazis who are cops and conflict. Uh, and I'm a historian. Uh, I have a PhD in the history of anti-fascist physical culture. Which is cool. Our producer is the one and only Sophie Lichterman, who is also the only Sophie Lichterman. I think mm-hmm. so. Why'd you take out the curse word that you had in the script? I liked it. It's true. I'm true. I'm sorry. In the script, it says our producer is Sophie fucking Lichterman, and <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I feel like I, <laughs> I really defanged you in a yeah. way I shouldn't have. Yeah, um, she, she had to go through a lot of shit to get that added to her government name. Yeah, I know. I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun every time she enters a country yeah. yeah and sometimes you call sophie just sophie instead of sophie fucking lichterman and sophie mm-hmm. gets really upset yeah like mm-hmm. you all just and witnessed. a fairy dies yeah yeah furious 
Our audio editor is Ian, uh, legally distinct from the entity that is currently battering the west coast of Florida. And it's always funny to make fun of people's names because it's something that is always original. Like before, <laughs> I think before recording, I accidentally referred... Anyway, and our theme music is written by Unwoman. <laughs> Today, we're talking about education. That's where you take podcast hosts and you say, making fun of people's names isn't as funny as you think. And then they learn and then they don't do it again. And that's what we all need in this world. Education, that thing that you add when you advocate for it, you might get murdered by the Spanish crown. Last week, we talked Probably. about... Probably. Yeah. Last week, we talked about Paul Robin and his orphanage and the creepily named but actually cool The Hive. And today, we're going to talk about the modern school, which is kind of a meaningless name, right? Like whenever people are like modern and then people are like, modern means 50 years ago. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. Anyway, that's the context in which the modern school is modern. Because it's not modern anymore. I'm really stretching this out. <laughs> uh, I figure if I do it long enough, Sophie will laugh. Okay, it worked. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was telling my friend that I was going to write about Federer, uh, Francisco Federer, the, the person we're going to be talking about who helped found the modern school. Yeah. And they summed up Federer like this. There once was a guy in Spain named Francisco Federer, and he was like, what if we teach kids in a reasonable way? So the government shot him and left him in a ditch. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that's devastating. But yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah. there's more to it. But there's no, nothing no, in there no. that's fundamentally wrong. No, it's pretty much the, uh, the narrative arc that we've got for you today, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. With some like, you know, the whole cool thing about being a martyr is your ideas live longer than you and we're all going to die one day anyway. So, you know. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Francisco Fidel. And actually, I think, you know, some of the stuff that we're going to get into, I feel like you um, maybe wrote a, a PhD about in terms of uh, the time period and stuff. And so please feel free to, well, I guess you do that anyway. But I'm, I'm particularly excited about anything you might have to say about early 19th century Spain or early 20th century Spain. So Francisco Ferrer was born on January 10th, 1859, on a farm outside Barcelona to devout Catholic parents, like all of the rest of the heroes this week. Yeah. Uh, well, they weren't all born on a farm outside of Barcelona. They might have been, that, but that's not information I have. So Francisco uh, did not grow up excited about religion. At the very least, I, I think he had um, like some free thinkers and stuff in his family, like one of his uncles was a free thinker. And at the very least, by the time he was 24 in 1884, he was a Freemason, which is an incredibly complex topic that I'm not going to talk about today, <laughs> which is you say it now and people are like, oh, some weird person, you know, conservative or something. But at the time meant often the opposite of that. He was a, a radical Republican, again, in the we don't like Kings way. And he was anti-clerical and not in that he doesn't like the D&D class cleric. I don't know his thoughts one way or the other about the Dungeons and Dragons class cleric, but instead uh, preferring a society that is not run by a monolithic church organization called the church. It's important to understand the Catholic Church in Spain during this time because it wasn't like, like now, like, you know, okay, actually Catholicism continues to do a lot of shit. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's like Catholicism in 19th, in, at this time period in Spain is not like just the fun religion where you drink blood and there's incense and you say you're sorry for doing all the sins or whatever. The church was a, a force of oppression in a country that was usually some kind of monarchy. And Francisco did not like what was happening there. That's my long way of... yeah. I'm actually curious. No, yeah, I like, think I don't it's know. pretty. The Spanish church sucked to a degree that is sort of hard for us to fathom now. I think like the yeah. Spain, 
Spain doesn't have like a um, this argument that gets made, right? They're like Spain is not a nation. People don't conceive of themselves as Spanish and Catholicism mm -hmm. takes over instead. So like, their identity is a, as Catholic and that's what Franco manipulates and it's why there's this debate about whether Franco is fascist or not, right? Because he has this whole national Catholic thing whereas it's mm -hmm. largely just nation or race in other places. Um, so the, yeah, the Spanish church owns a lot of land. It is... It goes hand in hand with with landlords. It goes hand in hand with the violent repression of working class movements. Um, it is hated more than you can perhaps imagine. Like if you look at uh, like anti-clerical violence and violence by the church at the start of the Second World War, and I'm sure we'll talk mm -hmm. about like the tragic week today, mm -hmm. um, you will see like you give anyone half a fucking chance and like a matchstick and they will burn the fuck out of a church in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Often actually, it's really interesting because sometimes they, they object to like the institution of the church and the, the, mm -hmm. the bad shit that it does. Sometimes you'll get priests who are not total pieces of shit who are also willing to like help poor people in their parish, right? So yeah. uh, sometimes they go next door and burn the church. Instead of they, the they, other church. Instead, instead of the church nearest to their house, yeah. they burn the, the other church. But yeah, the, uh, the church, like in uh, when you, in Jan July 19th, 1936, the start of the Spanish Civil War in Barcelona, like all the bell towers have snipers in them when the, uh, when the military does a coup, right? Because right. the church goes hand in hand with the people who are killing the working class in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Not best friends, church and, and the people. Yeah. It's someone presented it to me and as this idea that like imagine if the Christian nationalists who are currently trying to take over the United States had already taken over the United States. You know, and obviously that's yeah. not they're not Catholics, right? They often hate Catholics, but that same religious framework, that same um religious uh cultural and yeah. political domination. Church and state go hand in hand, like yeah, and, and yeah, there, there, no dissent could be tolerated. Yeah, so Francisco Ferrer, he doesn't like any of this stuff, and so, and his job, he's a railroad conductor, which is objectively cool because trains are cool. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew this, but trains are cool, and he used that position to help exiled revolutionists, which is even cooler. There was this radical Republican guy named Manuel Ruiz Zorilla who had been prime minister for a hot minute about 15 minutes earlier, and at this point was in exile in France, trying to foment a revolution in Spain so that Spain could be a republic instead of a monarchy, which they'd later pull off for less than two years in the 1870s. This is not a... We're not going to go too into that. Mm. But our man Francisco, he couriered letters to, to Zadia, and he helped smuggle people across the border. And then in 1886, which is just the cool thing to do as the train conductor, right? Like, I don't know. I just... Yeah. I like mm -hmm. this idea of being like, oh, I'm just the... Yeah. Whatever. I'm the train guy. In 1886, all the Republicans tried to overthrow the monarchy, and they failed. Uh, they had actually tried two years earlier too. There's a lot of various, uh, there's a lot of revolutions that Spain tries in in all kinds yeah. of directions. Yeah, yeah, true. And so they fail pretty spectacularly in 1886. So Ferrer and his wife and his three daughters they fuck off to Paris in self-imposed exile because they know what's up, right? And he spent 16 years in France. And he's working unpaid for most of that, for a good chunk of that, for Zadia and as a secretary. And he's teaching Spanish as his day job, and he's selling wine. Uh, not as like a wine merchant, but as like a wine vendor. Like he's on commission, I think. Okay. Um, he's just doing whatever the fuck he can. He's a working class guy. Yeah. And he's involved in everything cool and lefty in Paris at the time, including the free thought movement, which is, you know, the free thinkers, not quite atheists. And... 
like all people of value in the 1890s France. He was involved in the Dreyfus campaign, trying to stop anti-Semitism in France. And then Zodia died. Uh, and so Francisco, in 1895, and so Francisco's like, well, f- well, fuck. That was like my thing as I was trying to help this prime minister guy. It's like, Francisco Fidel is like a Bernie guy, right? He's like, I'm going to fucking help Bernie if Bernie was trying to overthrow the United States of America. And... Well, which he is. Oh, yeah, that's true. So we're not supposed to say that on the podcast, I'm sorry. Oh, right. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so he starts hanging out with the anarchists now that uh, Bernie's dead. And he starts getting really into pedagogy because he's a teacher. He's teaching Spanish for most of his money. And, and he's interested in how to teach things and how to develop free-thinking individuals. So soon enough, he's corresponding with our guy, Paul Robin, the French guy from one of the two French guys from the last time, the guy who ran the orphanage. And he starts dreaming of how he's going to found a a libertarian school with boys and girls learning in the same classes, with lessons based on science instead of the blood-drinking cannibal cult. And Spanish folks have been trying for years to get some decent education for the working class. And he's like, I'm going to be part of that dream. You know, he's not the only guy who's like, I'm going to fix the educational system in Spain. But he's... He's thinking about it all the time. Education in Spain in the 19th century was fucking awful. Most people couldn't read. It was like about two-thirds of people couldn't read. Most towns didn't have a public school. Once again, about two-thirds of towns didn't have a public school. And most teachers were sworn to uphold Catholic dogma. And there would be like, whatever, like, church people would be like walking around being like, you better teach the right things, you know, because they live in this like fucking weird dystopia that I didn't quite realize Spain was such a fucking weird... Anyway... And people are getting fucking sick of all this shit, right? And they want change. And so for decades, Republicans and anarchists and just not the church people had been starting schools, but they kept getting crushed by the state. And so Ferrer, he's like, I want to give it a shot too, right? If only he had some money and he got money in one of the classic ways that radicals get money. Have you heard of how he got his money? I'm just curious. Kind of curious though. I don't think I have, no. He's slightly before my time period. Like he dies about 20 years before my stuff starts. Ah, no, that's a good point. Okay. Or does he? What if he's in the blood drinking (laughs) cult? Okay, so. (laughs) Yeah, then he comes back to life. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, A a lady finds him. It's a whole thing. Yeah, Yeah, there are Easter eggs because of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're Um, you're familiar. Yeah. So he's like, I need some money. And he's teaching uh, Spanish to all of these people, including a, like the way that this is written in history, um, is, I don't know, whatever. I, I always think there's something going on beyond the history when people are like, and then this thing happened that the clearest, obvious answer is either crime and or sex work or some sort of combination yeah. of the two. Francisco Freder is a Spanish teacher and he has a student who's a rich middle-aged lady. And to quote historian Paul Average, she'd been a woman of conventional outlook until Freder, a persuasive teacher, succeeded in converting her to his ideas. And when she died... She left him half of her estate. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's uh, what the contemporary discourse would call a gold digger. Yeah, I, I think he gold dig that money up, which is a, a valid way to go and get yeah, a absolutely. million fucking get francs. Some. Yeah. Yeah, proud of him. Yeah. So he gets, his, he gets his million francs, and in 1901, he moves back to Barcelona. I have literally, no, I, I should have looked it up. I'm like, francs to modern dollars. I don't know. He gets a bunch of fucking money. Yeah, it takes a long time to do those conversions. I had to do I a know. bunch of those ones. It's, it's, yeah. I know. I, I always do them when I do like dollars. But when I do currencies that don't exist anymore, it gets really hard. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, you can sometimes find the quickest way I found was to find the newspapers from that date. Like if you find mm -hmm. something in the New York Times archive and then you look up the exchange rates oh, on that date and okay. then you go that day's dollars to today's dollars. Ah, that's how you get skip the, the uh, euro. Yeah, that's how you got the PhD. It was, yeah, that was it. <laughs> they were like, oh shit, none yeah. of us have thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> I had to give someone, uh, actually, I didn't have to give them any money. Some money had to move around from mm -hmm. a, donor, a donor to an institution that fundamentally sucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry. So, in 1901, he moves to Barcelona, and he's going to open a school. And he knows that uh, rote memorization isn't the same thing as learning. He wants to tear down the division between education and play, which is kind of somewhat what you're talking about, about like sport and play, yeah. right? Yeah. And he wants to cultivate physical and mental development. He wants to foster self-realization. He wants that teachers should help students discover things, not convince them of things. So he starts a school where he wants a school where there's no discipline, no rewards, no yelling at kids, no arbitrary rules, no homework, no forced working in silence, uh, no teaching as competition through grades and shit. Everyone is only competing against their themselves, yeah. right? He's flush with cash. So he starts a Scuola Moderna, the modern school. And it's based on these principles. He starts with 38 students, but by five years later, it has 126 students. And the stated purpose was to educate the working class in a rational, secular, and non-coercive setting. And I've read different ideas about how this worked in practice. I've read that the tuition was based on the parents' ability to pay. So it was like super sliding scale. But other places I've yeah. read have claimed that only the leftist middle class was able to afford to send their kids there. I don't know. Further in all of those explanations, there's like clear bias. This is one of the things that really annoys me about, you know, there's clear bias where they're like, it was perfect in every way and everyone, yeah, you know, and you're like, was it? And then on the other side, you have like, ah, but it was just some elitist shit and fuck them and, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and both of those histories I read that claimed one thing or the other seemed really fucking biased. Um, yeah, these like hagiographies. Or like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, fortunately, um, I would never do a hagiography. I would never name my podcast after something like it. cool people. <laughs> and and I will just say completely honestly and truthfully yeah, that yeah. Francisco Ferrer, not only um, uh, was it sliding scale, but it was actually sliding scale about how much money he gave to the parents uh, for sending their kids there. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. No, wait, no, that makes him buying children. Okay, so students would <laughs> visit. Um, okay, and so like, and like field trips were a big part of all of this, like popular education and like libertarian yeah. schooling. And it always gets brought up in this way where I'm like, oh, I think that maybe, because I grew up with field trips in, in public school here in the United States. Um, that's like one of the only things out of all of these things that I experienced, right? Um, boys and girls taught in the same classroom and field trips. But the way it talks about it, I get the feeling that field trips were not a big part of 19th century uh, public school. No, I don't think so. I think especially like when you look at uh, like the British uh, quote unquote public school, which actually means private school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Move, yeah, good stuff. Um, it's, uh, I, I think the idea was to like sequester young men away from the uh, corrupting influences of the city. Uh, and uh -huh. have them in these kind of semi-rural or suburban schools where they could just uh, like practice being soldiers. Oh, is that where it gets? Because I've always been, there's been a couple things that have confused me. And one of them is the private school means public school in, in Britain. 
Yeah, it's to distinguish it from a, uh, I think it's to distinguish it from a grammar school, uh, which is actually a school that is free, but you have to pass an exam to get into it. Um, okay. When, I think they also perhaps, no, I'm trying to remember. So like some schools had like classical and modern curriculums, but I think that was within public schools. Okay. Uh, Wait, and public school one. means private. Wait. Public school is a is a specific class of private schools, a special kind of uh, elite class of, of, of private boarding schools. <laughs> God damn which, it. Yeah, uh, yeah. We are a country which has really made it as hard as possible to understand our shit. Um, but yeah, it's the boarding schools that like uh, they they're a kind of wide variety of them, or it's not a wide variety of them. Mm. They're pretty pretty consistently for wealthy people right but like okay. eton is is the one that like if you're thinking of one like where mm -hmm. all our fucking prime or like a decent chunk of our prime ministers all went to the same school okay. which is weird and some people would think that is a problem but not britain because we love class and is our, that eton uh, is that eton is that like a thing that is eton yep that's yeah. where the royal family go it's yeah. where half our fucking prime ministers go yeah, yeah, no, not a problematic system at all. It's a great one. It doesn't reward privilege. It's fine. It's weird yeah. and culty. Um, yeah, that... they they do have a form of folk football that they play there, but uh, I would argue that you have removed the folk element from anything. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> more than most people earn in a year to go there. Yeah, I mean, there's the like you know the rich are free kind of thing. You know, you're like, oh yeah, you get to do all this. Like, like there's a lot of a lot of the stuff that I'm reading about, about the educational system, mm -hmm. there's a lot of private schools in the US that do this kind of thing, right? And that rules, and I'm glad for that. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah. I'm bummed that it's not in the public schools, you know? Yeah, yeah, it seems to be. I know when I was like applying for teaching jobs, I was mm -hmm. like, this was the sort of shit I really wanted to do. I'm very, I love the outdoors and, mm -hmm. and obviously like uh, exercising and shit. And, uh, and then you'd look at these schools and you're like, ah, not the kind of thing I want to do, though, because you know it costs so much money, and like it, it, you're only getting one. The people who benefit from it are perhaps not the people who would benefit from most, and it's not a reasonable yeah. cross section of society. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a shame. I think some of them still exist in, in Barcelona, right? Some of these more modernist schools. I think so. I'm going to talk a little bit at the end about what I've learned yeah. about what okay. still exists. Um, it's like weird versions of different things, but. But yeah, yeah, so we're not there yet. Yeah. So at the modern school, kids get field trips. Uh, this wild, crazy idea where they're like, what if we learn things by going to the places where those things are done? And so they'll they'll go to like, and this is such a like workers, like 19th century or 20th century Spain thing. It's like they visit mm -hmm. factories and also laboratories and museums and nature and all of that. But I just love that they like go visit factories and shit too. Yeah. And parents were invited to... Uh, to come to lectures at the school because basically like at night and at the, in the evenings, parents could come and learn about things. And one of the things that they could learn about is the products and services that support this podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. They, um, there was like a weird mm -hmm. portal to the future that Francisco Federer mm -hmm. developed. Um, that's actually one of the things he's, he's less known for is the, the Federer paradox yeah. that allows educational material to come from the future unfortunately he didn't understand the modern <laughs> advertising landscape well enough and so uh, people have been able to game the Frederic paradox algorithm to bring advertising Love to the minds of early 20th century spanish radicals mm -hmm. that's a great consumer base that's what makes it truly modern yeah 
Exactly. That is actually where I got the name modern is it always is attached to whatever is the current real timeline because we live in the real timeline. They live in the past, which is mm-hmm. fake. Um, much like the fake ads and no, nope, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's true. The happiness that you gain from these products and services. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. go out and consume. Actually, it's funny. It's like when I listen to these podcasts, it's mostly ads for other podcasts, which is totally chill. Yeah. I mean, all of it's chill. Yeah, I yeah. love everyone who's mm-hmm. ever paid. Okay, here's some ads. <laughs> yeah, buy some gold. <laughs> when your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back, and we're talking about how greatly we personally endorse every single advertisement that has ever been put on this show in any region, and if you have any problems with anything that we have personally selected to put on as advertisers, you can direct those questions to me at on Twitter at IWriteOK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Just message her there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they have field trips. Uh, oh, and the teachers get to, or parents get to come and continue do continuing education for free. And 
I don't know. And and the thing that like once again I like it is this thing that comes up time and time again that the coolest raddest shit like all the coolest raddest groups basically offer culture to people without money, right? Yeah. And so he also in order to because he's always thinking bigger than just like oh instead of just being a teacher he wants to develop a new school system and in order to develop a new school system he also needs all new types of stuff so he needs a school to teach teachers so he starts a, a school to teach teachers at the modern school and he also starts a textbook printing press because of course he did he reached out to scientists and writers and shit all over Europe so that the school had all the latest scientific information they printed like 40 of these textbooks in the 5 years that the oh, nice. school ran and and they also wrote, published utopian children's books, including one that was called The Adventures of Nono, which was written by an anarchist named Jean Grave. And I have no idea if this book was actually good. The history book I read was like, it was the most popular book among the students. But I don't know, maybe like maybe it was awful. I don't know. This is this school, I think, aired a little bit more on the side of like we are an anarcho syndicalist project who will create the working class that will overthrow the bourgeoisie rather than like i think the school was great but uh, in that spectrum i was talking about earlier between like your sole goal is free thinking individuals versus your like sole goal is like making anarchists or whatever right right i think this one leaned a little bit more towards the indoctrination but again i don't know because half the shit that's written about this unlike the other ones that are obscure enough that the people who wrote about them in a modern sense are like these rule all the one, a lot of the people who write about this shit in the modern sense are like, we fucking hate these people, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. And then it's just a way to. I have encountered those people in my historical, yeah, academic what? career. Believe it or not, yeah, yeah. Peer review is a great system. It does not reinforce. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. I actually have reproductions of some of those pedagogical texts. That's what I was. I wasn't just oh, writing really? chair sliding. Yeah, like. Um, oh, cool. Uh, so okay. Some of these Can you read the titles? Reproduced. Yeah. So it's it's a series called uh, Textos de Cultura Sport. So it's in Catalan, um, and they they were made by the Catalan government. But like, um, you can kind of see all these reproductions here. Mm -hmm. um, these were given to me by a friend. I don't know how. Uh, uh, I don't know how like how possible it would be for people to obtain these. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty cool. Like you can see. Um, like I, uh, I'm just looking like the uh, a summary informing of like the goals of physical culture education, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like um, things that are of, of use uh, for like a healthy body, things that are of use for a healthy mind, uh, like okay. things that are of use in the workplace. Like, so it, it's it's interesting to see them like categorize physical culture, not until they like put the ball in the hole, score the point, you know, get yeah. a brain injury. Um, like it's uh, it's interesting to see them characterize physical culture in ways to develop a healthy body mind and, and you know a, a fulfilling way to make a living. No, it's interesting because a hundred years later we're sort of back to kind of at least in the United States to sort of discovering that concept again. This like holistic idea of like actually moving your body and things has goals besides just sports and you know I don't know. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know what the case is here mm -hmm. i imagine it's the same because capitalism likes to do this but like in britain certainly many of our schools have been like they've had they've sold off like the, the places that used to be their playing field oh right? yeah totally their, no like kids don't get to play outside and yeah. actually that's a very important part of learning how to be part of a democratic society yeah no and and i i mean more of the like kind of the radical concept of like you know, people should go and exercise and that's like part of their yeah, like 
developing a, a healthy mind and I don't know. I mean, it leads down this also this rabbit hole of like standing desks, which are okay, and treadmill desks, which are okay, but they're also like this thing that, yeah. oh, whatever, it all gets recuperated. <laughs> it's quite dystopian, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's see these kids on treadmill desks in, in the classroom. Yeah. But yeah, like just to get up and move around. Like I even I remember when I was doing pedagogy training, you know, 10 years ago, something like that, like it was still pretty radical to be like, fucking get it get out from behind the uh yeah pantheon where you teach and everyone moves around and you know yeah even though it's better one of the other things that they taught at this school is uh i think everyone learned esperanto which was the leftist idea of a universal hell yeah Uh esperanto is fucking great and i okay i love this shit i'm off now all right uh it's, Let's go. It's like I don't know. Like, I think it's so wonderful, right? That there was a time when the working class was like, "We all need to work together to make a language so we can all understand each other, and that will help us to understand each other better, to have more unity, to foment a revolution, and, and build a world where the working class can be united and, and look after itself." Yeah, and we can all versus like this sort of idea of nations and languages and monolithic language blocks and one group being pitted against another group and them not understanding each other because they can't talk to each other. Yeah. And like, so at the Popular Olympics, right, in 1936, and the last surviving Popular Olympian died last year and he was an Esperantist his whole life, right? So like, yeah, he's born in the 1920s, right? He dies in the 2020s. So he sees a lot of shit. Uh But like, I was... So I I, I I tried to correspond with him, and the only way I could correspond with him was through the Esperanto Society. And like I'm not an Esperantist myself, but I was I met all these people who were, and they were so inspirational to me. Like this idea that like we're going to talk together, we're going to play together, and we're going to change the world so that we all understand each other. It, it's so cool. Like I really love this idea of instead of like you learn my language so you can talk to me, we learn this language that we all share, and then we can all talk to each other. Yeah. And. It, yeah, it, it just, I don't know. I'm really sad that obviously, and Esperanto is like designed to be very easy to understand yeah. and easy to learn, right? It's not a, not a particularly complex language. But yeah, they had Esperanto translators at the uh, at the Popular Olympics. And like, the idea was that like, if two people didn't have a, sh- a translator who could go between them, that they could just use an Esperantist as a pass-through. Right, totally. And and one of the things I, I haven't studied as much about Esperanto as I, I would like. And so maybe this is a bit my own conjecture, my own projecting onto it. But one of the things that struck me about it, at least the people I talked to about it, was that it wasn't meant to be everyone's only language, or at least a lot of people, it wasn't yeah. meant to be your only language. You still speak whatever language you're from, but then the international communication happens in this language that is no one's mother's tongue, mother tongue. And so you avoid this, like, you know, more and more, like English is the quote universal language um, in a lot of places and a lot of contexts. And, and since it's some of ours, like, native tongue, you get this like fucking problem where you get this more, you know, cultural colonialism and all this shit. Um, yeah. And so I, I find Esperanto. Like prestige. Yeah. Like, I don't know whether it's like the thing that I'm trying to be like, let's bring back Esperanto. But yeah, I, but it, it was really interesting. One of the things that really strikes me whenever I read some of this history is I'm like, oh, uh, the radical left was better at internationalism before the fucking internet, not because the internet killed it, but just because the way that the movement prioritized communications, you would have people like in Brazil commenting on labor struggles in Japan, you know, commenting on Portuguese and having it have an impact on the decisions that some of the Japanese labor struggle people are doing, you know? And like, I don't, uh, whatever, not to get lost in, 
we can do it again. We can do it by paying attention to each other. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, Esperanto, big thing, the modern school. Yeah. And, and the whole modern school was not a, a modest idea. I feel like a lot of the other people were like, oh, I'm going to teach some kids and other people might want to do it. But Air was like, this is, uh, the whole thing is couched in revolutionary terms. The goal is to develop the kinds of people who could make a better society, people who are constantly improving themselves. And it was consciously part of the larger anarcho-syndicalist movement, the one that later saw millions of workers taking over their factories into a collectivized economy. So, you know, in some ways, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying the, the modern school did that, right? But it consciously saw itself as we're going to yeah. be helping people, I don't know, become the people who can make the world better. The government, they weren't really into this. <laughs> Odd. Yeah. Which, to be fair, I guess was mutual, right? Sometimes I'm like, oh, the state's so mean to these people who actively are attempting to destroy the state. No, I guess that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Cops raided his house all the time. They followed him around all the fucking time. And they also spread rumors about him. They were really into spreading rumors that he, like, gambled and had loose morals. Um, To be fair, he did fuck, like, a lot. (laughs) And then, but was uh-huh. this in line with his like his his particular moral structure? Would yeah. find anything wrong with that, right? Yeah, right. No, totally. And within the context of the the social movement he was part of, I'm not aware of people being particularly upset. Well, okay, I'll get to one person, no. but but overall, yeah. like, no, it was like, um, yeah. I mean, there there were arguments within the the left and anarchism at that time about like the free love and about essentially what you would probably call polyamory now and stuff like that. There were arguments back and forth, yeah. but like. He wasn't breaking his own morals, but the government was like, we are going to paint this man as horribly as we can, and you'll soon see why they did all of this work. In 1905, someone threw a bomb at the king's carriage. It injured 17 people. Then, in 1906, one of the school's textbook printers, who was a a 20-year-old guy named Mateo Morau, Morau, he tried to murder the king and queen of Spain on their wedding day. He... It starts off classy. He put a bomb into the into a bouquet of flowers and tried to drop it on the wedding procession. It did. It, it wasn't a good plan. It was really actually pretty shitty. He killed twenty four onlookers. He injured one hundred and seven people, including all of the people who were on the balconies below him. And he didn't so much as touch the king and queen. Apparently, the the queen's wedding dress was covered in the blood of the horse. So, not well. Whatever. I think my opinion about random bombings is probably pretty known at this point and Matteo he did this possibly because he was lovesick <laughs> he'd, he'd propositioned one of the women at the school one of the teachers who was probably fucking Fader um, oh no who's like and I think she's I think like she's way older than this 20 year old and she's way younger yeah. than Fader and she said no and he was like, fuck it, I'm going to try and kill the king. And I don't know if this was a, like to impress this lady or not. Big John Hinckley move. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So John Hinckley, he takes to the wind and he was spotted at a train station. It wasn't as simple as a spotted train. So this is a massive nationwide manhunt to find him. And he was like, he was in a region where he had an accent. And the fact that he had like disheveled clothes uh, really like had him stand out or whatever. So he, get, he gets spotted at a train station. They come for him. He shoots the cop that's coming for him. And then he kills himself. And the cops arrested Fader for conspiracy. And they held him in prison for a fucking year before they finally gave up trying to find evidence against him because 
there wasn't any evidence against him. And this huge international support campaign came up around, around this because it was just like, why the fuck are you arresting this guy? But the, the cops shut down the modern school like two weeks after they arrested him. And it was it had only been open for five years. It actually never reopens. This is this thing that like looms large in a lot of like popular education, but it only existed for five years. And the right wing breathes this a sigh of relief because the modern school fucking terrified them. One right wing paper put it like this: quote, These crimes will continue as long as Spaniards maintain the freedom to read, to teach, and to think, from which come all these antisocial <laughs> monsters. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we need to put any commentary on that. Let's speak through itself. Yeah. <laughs> so, Magnificent. Uh, so some folks, uh, I don't know, they tried to get all the secular, oh, so some of the right-wing people, they tried to get all the secular schools shut down as a result as well. They were like, yeah, let's shut down all of the ones that aren't Catholic, right? And that didn't pass. Um, and historians, both anarchists and non-anarchists, like to argue about whether or not Francisco had actually plotted the attack. I don't think he did personally. I think that because all of the evidence that they have is all the evidence that like wasn't even enough for this like right wing court to use against him. Yeah. Right. But but this is where we start to get two different pictures of who Francisco was on one side publicly at this point. He's actually he maintains that he's a pacifist and that he's not even really an anarchist, even though he's like and he's just committed to libertarian education. But the reason that I and many historians feel safe continuing to call him an anarchist, even though at this point he's like, oh, I'm not an anarchist anymore, is that he's like, he's not just running this school, but he's like contributing to all the anarchist newspapers and he's like yeah. doing all this anarchist organizing that are explicitly anarchist. Or he, and he's like a big part of this anarcho syndic Actually, he's a big part of a syndicalist union that includes anarchists and socialists. And, but he's like, oh no, I'm just a teacher guy. That's like his kind of take. And I think it's his take because... Well, we'll get to that. And on the other side, he was a bloodthirsty mad bomber who just wanted to see the guts of kings painting the walls of Madrid. You know, um, I that's not the problem. The problem is the poor bystanders. Absolutely. In the way. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, not a very the track record of throwing bombs at people you don't like really uh, low. It doesn't yeah. work for governments when they do it in other countries. And it doesn't work. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah, don't throw bombs. Yeah. Uh, use guns. Yeah, which is an awkward transition into uh, our, our main sponsor of this show, um, uh, the Circle Bomb. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever had no. a problem that you don't know how to... No? No. That's not the, bomb, the Bombosphere. I think they're rebranded as the Bombosphere. Oh, okay. What about just like bouquets of flowers without bombs in them? I'm okay That's with that. That's disappointing. Okay. No, no, because like, okay, think about it. Because like, it's actually really nice. Like when my book came out, someone gave me a bouquet of flowers and it made me really happy. I almost cried. Yeah. And it didn't have a bomb in it. Really? And think about how much worse that would have been yeah. if someone was like, congratulations on your book release. And then they gave you a bouquet of flowers and there was a bomb in it. That'd be bad. Yeah, it yeah, would be bad. Don't do that, that to Margaret. Yeah. 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 Either way, you're inviting death into your home. Yeah. That's my take <laughs> on flowers. <laughs> James, is there, is, realize... there, is there a positive product that you would like to, that you would like to be the sponsor of this episode? Uh, a lot of time is uh, we we yeah. let, we previously have been sponsored by the concept of potatoes, the concept of clean mm -hmm. tap water, a always cool yeah. pillow, mm -hmm. um, a really Ooh. good comb, smiling children, mm -hmm. smiling children. Yeah. 
I'd like us to be sponsored by like uh, the the idea of bicycles because it's great. Oh, you yeah. can feel like you're flying while you're still on the ground, mm-hmm. and uh, they can empower people to travel and see the world and meet each other. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, bicycles. I think. All right. No particular type of bicycles. Yeah. All of no, them. absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, bicycles in the early 20th century were used a lot to spread socialism and anarchism because these. Uh, left-wing cycling groups would travel around rural areas reading uh, Proudhon and Marx uh, through megaphones. That's so weird. That That is so weird. (laughs) You should do it now, but don't expect positive results, because it'll just confuse Uh, everyone. But the world should be a little weirder. Yeah, do that. And here's some other ads. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. And we are talking about whether Francisco Ferrer is a mad bomber or a pacifist. And my answer, my guess, is that he's somewhere between these two. Uh, He absolutely was affiliating with the broader anarchist movement. And that included pacifist elements, right? Like Tolstoy, a friend of the... One of the main accidental friends of the pod. Someone who just shows (laughs) up in every episode. The three things that show up in every episode by accident are Quakers, which aren't in this one, I'm sorry. Tuberculosis, which is in everyone because death waits for all of us, including flowers. And Tolstoy. But yep. Tolstoy, big part of supporting the libertarian school movement. He, um, he would send all kinds of money and like wrote about it. And I think started some of these schools. And I kind of want to, when I one day do a Tolstoy episode, which will have to include also all the terrible things that Tolstoy did. But anyway, so he's, he's at least friends with some pacifists like Tolstoy, but he's also clearly hanging out with the more revolutionary anarchists. And this is the, this is the fourth attempt by the Spanish state to claim he'd plotted an assassination. Even he got blamed for the 1905 bombing, the 1906 bombing and two, two attacks before then they were like, anytime anyone tried to do something in Spain, they were like, ah, Francisco Ferrer is behind it. And every time everyone's like, why are you saying that? Is it because he teaches kids? And they're like, no, no, no. It's because he tried to kill them, you know? And there's like just no fucking evidence ever. Yeah. Um, they really wanted him gone, which is, I think, I assume is why he was like, I'm not even an anarchist anymore. I'm a pacifist. It's because like they kept trying to fucking murder him. So in 1907, he's out of prison. He doesn't have a school anymore. He's banned from opening it again. But other people are kind of doing that shit now. And Francisco forms the straightforwardly named International League for the Rational Education of Children. I think this podcast is really actually sponsored by everyone on all sides of things should go back to naming their organizations the League of something something. Mm Mm-hmm. He travels around Europe. He's talking about all this shit. Uh, he keeps printing textbooks for all the other libertarian schools that are starting to crop up. He starts a newspaper to discuss pedagogical ideas. Should be the equivalent of starting like a discord at this point, I think. Which would be like one day someone's going to be like, ah, yes, James Stout uh, did a lot of work about physical education. Once started a discord, you know? Um. <laughs> yeah. I am permanently banned from discord, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I sent a big video of my chickens and it was like, you're on something really weird and it banned me and I can't go back. <laughs> that, that is so based. <laughs> what was the chicken's name? Was, uh, that was Emma Goldhand. Ah. We also have Reese Featherspoon. Oh, they James. were just enjoying a mango and uh, like, of all the shit that happens on discord i am the one who gets ip banned <laughs> it's wild like, i understand my bans from twitter for responding to tweets uh, with pictures of mussolini hanging upside down dead like i can see why people might get upset by that mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yeah. i will continue to do it yeah yeah <laughs> like you can yeah, yeah. you can it's like uh, a fair they'll never take my freedom yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I see, uh, and in the last few weeks, particularly, it's been very hard to restrain myself. But uh, okay, yeah, the Discord not cool with chickens. Why did something happen in the past few weeks that somehow relates to Italy and fascism? 
Uh, yes, quite possibly. Oh. Uh, a girl boss was winning, and uh, the internet hates to see a girl boss winning. Ah, that's right. Internet does yeah, that's hate a girl boss, that, and I have positive feelings about hierarchy and right-wing politicians who use identity in order... So, um, <laughs> so the league starts... It spreads from country to country. And that group we hi- the hive, the the awkwardly named one, maybe the cool named one. Someone listening mm. to this is like, that's the coolest name, and that's fine. Yeah. Bees are pretty cool. Yeah. Like they, you know, they work together, they get stuff done. It's true. A bit authoritarian. Yeah, it's true. But you know, I yeah. mean who had okay, whatever. Like the simp okay, whatever. There's some joke there that I don't know how to make. So the hive uh joins this league, and libertarian education becomes all the rage and schools are cropping up all over the place. And then in nineteen oh nine, Francisco went back to jail. Because, you see, Spain was a colonial power. And they'd been losing colonies all over the place, but they still had Morocco. But in 1909, they were losing bad in Morocco. So they started calling up their reserves to go do a colonialism. And James, people didn't want to do a colonialism. Really? Yeah. That's right. I know. I I would like to say it was because they were all committed anti-racist and anti-colonialism. I think that was part of it. I think mostly someone said, you there, sole breadwinner for your family, we would like you to go die in some country for no fucking good reason. Uh, I don't know. That's my take on it. I'm curious if you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, this has never happened again in history, fortunately. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, there is an element that is like anarchism, anarchism, anarcho-syndicalism are much, much more relevant than, than like communism mm-hmm. in Catalan labor organizing at this time and since this time right, until the 1930s. Um, so like, there's an element that I'm sure is committed to anti-colonialism with, that exists within the, the Catalan left. But I think the larger idea being like, I don't want to go and die so someone else can make some money. I don't want to participate in war, which is scary. And, and you know, there is no veterans pension there's no va right yeah. you might come back with one less leg but yeah they're not going to help you um and if you're going to go and die in fucking morocco fighting the riff why not die in the street in barcelona trying to stop it being the case that the state can force you to go to morocco and fight the riff yeah which which is more or less how it goes down a lot of people uh made that decision and had that end result syndicalists called for a general strike on july 26 1909 the government responded in the same way that they've responded to every strike so far in this episode and pretty much every strike I've covered on the show by firing on people for being on strike, then declaring martial law. So the general strike became an insurrection because they were like, we don't actually want martial law. We want to continue to have power over our own lives. And they didn't want to fucking go invade Morocco. And this gets called the tragic week. More than 100 people die at the hands of the police. About eight cops get got too. And as far as I can tell, one of the kind of interesting things about it, like the syndicalists were one of the main organizing bodies behind it, but it was Republicans and liberals and Catalan nationalists and socialists and anarchists. And it was, it was fairly spontaneous, as, as at least the read I've, I've gotten. And I'm wondering if that maps to your... Yeah, there's always been some links towards these people, right? Like, uh, and some of these people like end up uh, on the on the other side mm-hmm. and when we get to the Spanish Civil War, right? Um, but these these people always have these uneasy alliances, right? That like, especially the Catalan nationalists and the anarchists, mm-hmm. right? So uh, uh, Compans, who's the president for 
one of a better term, of Catalonia when the civil war starts, had previously been a lawyer for anarchists who were hmm. facing the same state persecution, right? And um, Catalonia, like certainly by the 1930s, develops, and maybe in part because of the tragic week and because as Catalan nationalists, even if they were bourgeois, which they mostly were, mm-hmm. they were familiar with the concept of being ruled by an arbitrary power that you didn't choose. Yeah. Uh, in this case, Madrid. And lots of them felt that like it should be the other. They didn't particularly feel that like there should be self-determination for nations. Some did, but many of them just felt like it should be the other way around, that Barcelona should rule Madrid and not Madrid should rule <laughs> Barcelona. Right? So they weren't even separatists. Um, they were just like Catalan no, dominationists like, or supremacists. Or like, yeah. 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 I mean, Catalonia was much more economically advanced mm-hmm. than Madrid at this time, right? Much more industrialized. Catalonia, the Basque country outstrip, which is why you have this working class, why you have these unions, where mm-hmm. you have this organization, right? And many of the working class weren't born in Catalonia, didn't speak Catalan. Yeah. Uh, they often called them later Charnego is kind of a slur that's used. Okay. Murciano, like they're for, like, like pretending they're from Murcia, um, which is another <laughs> part of Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are, you can see signs in front of these like shanty towns that develop around the factories. You can see pictures of them saying like Catalonia ends here, Murcia starts here. Wow. Um, okay. So sometimes they would be complete turds to one another, but then, uh, yeah, when there comes a chance to take a swing at the Spanish state, particularly when the Spanish state is in the form of a monarchy, there's a whole lot of people who are just going to join in and be like, yeah, fuck it, or put that aside for now, let's go. Yeah. It didn't go incredibly well in the end. Um, Nope. Thus the name, Tragic Week, which is what I pitched as the name of this podcast, is the Tragic Week podcast, (laughs) Sophie's... Um, looking confused. No. Um, that could be our new weekly show. Ah, the tragic no. week. This yeah. week in bad yeah. stuff. Bummer town. Yeah. No. Yeah. We have burned a few churches and then hundreds of people will die. <laughs> <laughs> what if I pivot to something totally? What if I start talking about bad stuff? Okay, anyway. So, <laughs> 1,700 people get indicted for this rebellion. And the anarchist they tried four times previously to frame up, Francisco Ferrer, he's one of them. And he gets accused of being the leader of the entire rebellion. What a funny coincidence that this person that they keep trying to murder is suddenly accused of being the leader (laughs) of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And to be clear, if he had been the leader of this rebellion, he would absolutely be a cool person doing cool stuff and be on this show. (laughs) But uh, the old saying applies here. We support our prisoners even when they're innocent. And... Fidair was probably innocent. Not a, I, ta- I totally stayed home. What are you talking about, innocent? He almost certainly <laughs> threw down. He was like 49 or 50, the tragic week. He almost certainly was like part of it and probably fighting with violence against the people who are trying to kill him and everyone else, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and his, his yeah, his, his trial is a sham. It's a military tribunal. Yeah. They kind of just don't bother entering evidence besides the fact that he's an anarchist. And he and four others get condemned to death. So on October 13th, 1909, he's 50 years old. They lead him to the trenches outside a fortress, one where anarchists have been tortured and executed before. Monchwik. Ah, I didn't know how to pronounce this, so that's why I didn't write it into the script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a good place to go if you're on holiday there. You can find, yeah. um, like, Daruti uh, is buried there. Oh, okay. Shit. So they just, this I is just where they so keep fucking... Yeah, no, it's a very cool like cemetery. Castle of I used dead to. Anarchists. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a little memorial, and it's like uh, different Ferrer, but Ferrer Ascaso Duruti. It's like this, mm-hmm. this one like big headstone. It's just got like 
yeah, there's lots of cool people in there. Go yeah. check it out. Where okay. Compange was executed. Uh, it's where the Olympics were in 1992. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's okay. the, it, the fortress where the commander of the fortress was like uh, killed by his non-commissioned officers who then handed all the weapons in the armory to anarchists. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> it's one is of the, the coolest fucking things. spirit of Finair coming back <laughs> yeah. 20 years later. Yeah. yeah. And all the other yeah, anarchists have been to tortured it. there. Yeah. It, his last words, and this might be apocryphal because I cannot quite fathom the source for the last words for the guy that they drag out to a ditch and execute. But his, his last words were to his firing squad, aim well, my friends. You are not responsible. I am innocent. Long live the modern school. And, um, and you know, and part of the reason I actually do believe him about his, like, innocence or whatever, I mean, again, like, he was probably fighting, but, like, is that, like, the, the more bomber-type anarchists who are also have badass last words are, like, you know, fuck all of you. Someone else will blow you up instead. <laughs> yeah. You know? And he's like, no, you're working class people who've been like put in this bad position. You shouldn't be doing this. But whatever, my yeah. work will live on. There's a big narrative of like uh, anarchist martyrdom in this time mm-hmm. and this movement as well, right? And I think like yeah. it, it fits within like the idea of hagiographies and saints' lives, which is very culturally relevant in that part of the world. Um, oh shit! That's such a good point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like. I don't want to like. Spain is essentially culturally Catholic, and these people are just doing a different version of that because that's not true. They're doing something mm-hmm. very different. Like that's not what I'm saying. But uh, the idea of having something to say for your last words, mm-hmm. because because martyrdom is important, and because your ideas will live longer than you will, it doesn't not fit that he would have thought about what to say and then said it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. and I mean honestly, I mean from from my point of view, like some of the stuff that comes out of being culturally Catholic, if you strip away all the power and all the obedience to the church and shit, like, yeah. Okay. If it means that people are like, want to go down with really cool last words and want to like be brave to the last and shit. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Being prepared to die for your, like a thing that you believe is more important than you is inherent to, to like to this anarchism as well as, as Catholicism, right? It becomes a big problem in the civil war because they keep just, frontally charging machine guns yeah <laughs> yeah that is that is one of the uh, downsides yeah but no respect yeah and overnight he's a martyr to quote the historian paul average in europe in america even in asia hundreds of meetings took place to denounce what was regarded as a monstrous miscarriage of justice there were demonstrations in london rome berlin vienna amsterdam brussels geneva and many other cities A crowd of 15,000 people stormed the Spanish embassy in Paris, while in Milan, a group of anarchists ran the black flag from the spire of the great cathedral. But the protests were not only by anarchists. They came from all sections of liberal society. And um, a Brown University sociologist wrote, Federer was a martyr to the principle of education. There have been martyrs to religion and to science, but never before was there a martyr to education. And... It was this execution that spread his ideas outside of radical circles, finally. Uh, you know, no one, like he was, very, he, him and his work were a big deal within this fairly large movement that he was part of, right? But this is, this is kind of when the rest of the world heard about his ideas was when they killed him. After this, he's, he's the front page of the New York Times. Brussels puts up more than one monument to him. There's like different ones. There's like plaques. There's a statue. Then the statue, I think, gets destroyed in World War One, and then like gets re- rebuilt in the, the 1920s. 
in the in the U.S., your chicken Emma Goldhen uh, goes coast to coast in the U.S. teaching uh, his ideas in 1910. It's a very old chicken. It's actually Emma Goldman. Mm-hmm. Anyone who okay, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> people are genuinely confused. Yeah, yeah. That's why I got banned from Discord. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Catholic, Catholic Church Discord, yeah. hand in hand. Yeah. Well, you were on the Catholic Church Discord server, so it, it's really mm-hmm. kind of yeah. That, that was the main problem. Yeah. 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 I was on the Opus Day server again. Yeah, I know. Um, and so I've got to stop doing that. <laughs> and free thinkers and birth control advocates teamed up with anarchists in the U.S. and they formed the Francisco Federer Association which was like a very cross-class organization. The anarchists were mostly Eastern European Jewish immigrants. The free thinkers were generally a bit older, born in the U.S. and middle class. And they started schools. All over the world, people started schools that lasted for decades. Um, most lasted about a decade, to be real. Only one, the Federer Center in Stelt, New Jersey, lasted until 1953. And his death ended the career of two different prime ministers. Which it... The, <laughs> The first one was forced yeah. to resign by international outrage. These are the two ways that anarchists were getting shit done at the time, right? Yeah. Uh, one of them was forced by international outrage to resign. So then the next one steps in. So an anarchist, an anarchist in revenge for Ferrer just kills him. I think he's like window <laughs> shopping and uh, the guy just fucking kills him. And, and there's rumors that Ferrer's girlfriend, the one who was from earlier or whatever, the mm-hmm. teacher... There's rumors that she was involved in the conspiracy for this second one, being like, well, someone's got to kill someone and they they (laughs) killed my boyfriend. Someone's got to stab someone, you know? Uh, The New Jersey Ferrer Center was a cultural center, an evening school, and of course, it was a day school. Lectures were held for workers. It was basically a who's who of prominent artists, authors, lawyers, philosophers, and organizers. If I'm being honest, though, Ferrer's legacy wasn't really these schools. Most of them didn't last, and that last one wasn't honestly super impressive i mean whatever it was, it was better than anything i've ever done but like it whatever in, in the u.s the red scare really fucked the idea of popular education over um and so the people doing things really explicitly in his name weren't the thing that came of his life and his work um his, his legacy was his impact on pedagogy worldwide and on the ideas of his schools and his work as like one of many many influences on popular education because it's not like he didn't coin this, but but he became the symbol around which this this coalesced, and so various free school movements pro- cropped up in his wake. Some were directly influenced by him, some less so. Anarchists in France maybe took his ideas the furthest. Before World War II, they set up the Proletarian University, which was crushed during the war. After the war, they set up even more schools. They proposed the idea of instead of tracking a, a country's success based on economic development, tracking it by cultural development, which has like had lasting impact on world politics in latin america popular education was taken up more by marxists and by future friend of the pod liberation theology but yeah but popular education that struggle continues today uh boys and girls are often educated together but most of the popular education ideas remember remain only a dream except for a handful of lucky students who have no homework no discipline who get to have self-direction in their education who learn crafts and sciences both and who have a formal and equal say in running of their schools so the education that they're, they're all working towards, we're still working towards, would be an education that teaches people that they have both individuality and they also have the capacity to organize collectively and people who are brought up ready to make a better world. That's my, my rousing summation that I wrote. Pretty proud of That's that. That's good. Yeah, you should be. Great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a cool guy. Also opposed to bullfighting. Sometimes his name is raised like... Uh, 
in 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 like Catalan people have become increasingly mm. opposed to bullfighting, expanding Catalonia now. Uh, and like sometimes you'll see him cited as one of the first like anti bullfighting Catalans. That's cool. Was he just yeah. like that's fucked up? Why would you do that? Or was I it think... like they keep mowing people down? Or like what's the? As <laughs> I was being mowed down by a bull in my uh, younger years, <laughs> broken a lot of ribs. Uh, kind of like it eh, was. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck it. You shouldn't be mean to animals. I entirely <laughs> yeah. deserved it. Like it was my fault. If I mean, you're like, going to be mean to yeah. animals, yeah, they should I'm be allowed to survived. hurt you if <laughs> yeah. you hurt them. Yeah. yeah, I I admit all guilt. I think it's my fault. <laughs> Fuck it. Uh, yeah, I like I like cows. You shouldn't hurt them. If they yeah. hurt you when you're hurting them, it's your fault. Um, yeah. No, I think his his opposition was more on the lines of like, this is a way that we inculcate nationalism and it's a weird blood cult. What the fuck's happening? It wasn't specifically mm. a, like, this is mean mm-hmm. to Because like, Spain has this whole thing with bulls and national identity, right? Like the big Osborne sherry bulls on hillsides that you see in Spain and stuff. Okay. Like, it's a very strange uh, thing. And he was like, nah, this is weird. We need to stop. Um, yeah, all around had some really progressive ideas or ahead of his time in many ways. And Catalan people will know him as Francesc as well. Uh, but oh, okay. I'm sure that they have perfectly well understood Francesco, which is what most people will say in the rest of the world. And it yeah. is on his gravestone. Oh, huh. Eject. Oh. It's with an O, like the Spanish, not the Catalan. Yeah. I wonder whether, uh, I wonder how he would have felt about that, you know? I guess he, was, yeah. he wasn't a Catalan nationalist, I guess. So maybe it would have been like, Samey, same no, or I don't know. Most of the anarchists at the time spoke in Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, not, not in Catalan, because most of the working class did the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, depends what his name was in Esperanto, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's interesting because it's his gravestone, as I'm looking at it, is Francisco Ferrer y Guardia, but then the uh, inscription, Fundador, it's like it's in Catalan. Oh, shit. Huh. Cool. At least... Uh, Hang on, I'm looking now. Well, uh, no, it's not. No, it's, it's in Spanish with the name of the school in, in Catalan. Oh, okay. Well, in, in honor of uh, Francisco Ferrer, I'm I'm going to now redo, reread the entire script uh, in Esperanto. So everyone, um, hold on. Buckle up. My no, I'm goodness. Just kidding. All right, James, fine. do you have uh, anything you'd like to plug? I, I already plugged some stuff last time, so I guess I don't 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 fuck with bulls. I think would be my main thing that they will fuck cool. with you. Yeah. Cool. Margaret, That's any it. any final thoughts? Anything you want to plug? Uh, it could happen here as a good podcast, and you I should agree. listen oh, yeah. to it. Um, and I also have another podcast called "Live Like the World Is Dying," which Yay. is about doing what it also says on the title. It's um individual and community preparedness podcast. And also, you can follow me on the internet if you really want to. I post pictures of my dog on Instagram at Margaret Kiljoy, and I get into arguments that i regret on twitter at magpie killjoy <laughs> um, and sophie uh, why Hi. don't you close us out with a joke oh mm. man I don't it's fun have to put people one. on the spot because then no one has I one i don't yet. have one mm-hmm. no no okay uh, fine the only joke is that uh i don't have one. Oh, okay mm-hmm. yeah. well then that's it sad ending it's a sad no i don't like that hold on let me okay. think yeah. let me okay. think uh, just tell us about your plant collection, Sophie. That's a happy. Oh, topic. we don't we don't have a lot of time. We don't have enough time for that. <laughs> uh, oh, I have a great plant joke. Actually, now that you mentioned my plant, I know it's okay. What did okay. the young plant say to the old plant? <laughs> <laughs>
Ready? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Bloomer. Uh, <laughs> oh! Uh, you're welcome. Amazing. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, who, who, whoever posted it on the internet and and, and and it stuck in my brain. Um, it's good. It's a dad joke, but like dads are dads are the uh, also the, like the victim yeah. of the punchline. So yeah. two ways. Okay, yeah. Bloomer. Yeah. Okay, cool. Glad that we we had this time. Anyways, we'll see you next week. Right. Bye, People. everyone. Bye. Please come back. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.